0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today from the pulpit to the pew. Good evening, we're doing this. This evening, more of a Bible study forum. we (laughs) spread out as a church uh, gathering, but I'm glad we we can do this together. Um, we'll go ahead and so we'll start with prayer tonight as we before we start the Bible study. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can gather together. Lord God, uh, even though if we're in different places, Lord God, we pray that you be with Um, those who are ill, those who are traveling tonight, today. And Lord God, I pray that you even greater be, we pray over our area and going out through East Texas and Houston. Lord God, those who've, uh, through the tragedies of flooding again, Lord God, uh, Lord, my prayer is that they would, uh, that you would lead and guide them to the places you'd have them to go. Lord God, that you provide the resources, and Lord God, the path that that Lord God uh, to restore them, and and Lord in all things, Lord, that we guide them to you, and Lord God, a knowledge of you, and Lord God, to glorify you uh, for for your works and your mighty works. Father, let us be reminded that always, Lord, we might lose all of our earthly possessions, but we don't lose; we can never lose. the salvation that comes in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that we can even gather in this way. Lord, I pray that you bless this time for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight, although it is a little bit different, um, it's been a few weeks. been a few weeks since we've been able to to have a Bible study. And since last week we did... uh, Last week we watched a documentary that we watched in the past called uh, Indoctrination and just had a, a time where we could uh, where we could focus on those things, but also that we if you know to know, uh, especially for the kids and in, in my family and our church family, that they would understand why we, uh, why we homeschool or we, we choose to, to do so, and there's a lot of reasons why, um, and it's not just because we're the richest people in the world and we we can afford to do whatever we want to do. It's because we honor, we want to honor God, we want our children to be taught the things of His Word and order with founded upon His Word, and uh, to protect them in their young lives from from this world and the things of this world and the uh, the things that might. Uh, the things that uh, might mis- mislead them and lead them down a path of destruction, but rather be able to focus everything down to their education on how God, um, uh, on the things that He's given us and how all learning, all knowledge is founded in Scripture. And uh, we might not find computers in the Bible, but we understand that order is in the Bible. And so without order, there is no computer programming. There, there Without Uh, And and as we look at different aspects and look at different things, we even look at the beauty and the post-millennial hope of even what we're doing tonight. We're able to come and and use the resources God has given us um, to, to meet together. So, as we begin, I'm going to read Scripture to us. And it's going to be in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 18 through 38 tonight. And really what we're going to do, the first part is I'm going to do some... Uh, more than just a straightforward uh, an application, uh, looking at how the consistency of things are. Um, but then I'm going to move in, and we're going to kind of break down the verses in the last part of this uh, to explain this Jesus that we need. Um, so let's read together. Matthew chapter nine, verses 18 through 38, it says. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, said, "'Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well.' And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, "'Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping.' And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl rose." And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be 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 it done to you be done for you and their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned him see that no one knows about it but they went away and spread his fame through all that district (laughs) there's a lot of reasons why Jesus might have asked them not to but let's go on as they were going away behold a demon oppressed man who was mute was brought to him and when the demon had been cast out the mute man spoke And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the Prince of Demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Sorry. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As I said, we're going to talk about tonight the Jesus needed, the Jesus we need. The Jesus we need first is faithful. The Jesus we need is faithful. And when we talk about that, that if you think about this, we have these two accounts, as y'all are writing that down, we have these two accounts. One, a man comes to him and says, my daughter has died, if you'll come. Um, asked if Jesus would come. And the other was, uh, a woman, uh, as he was leaving, a woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. and uh, And he notices it and she is in it was by her faith that she was healed it was by this ruler or this this local leader his faith that the daughter was healed but we're talking about the jesus we need is a jesus that is faithful and all too often when we start talking about this subject, and I know a lot of this tonight is about healing and a lot of those aspects once again, and I wanted to take this a little bit different direction because uh, when we think about things we all too think about is the Jesus I need in the moment. But the Jesus we need is a faithful Jesus. He's a faithful God. And that's one of the things I look at. So A under A, it's really simple, under A. Jesus is faithful regardless of circumstances. Jesus is faithful regardless of the circumstances surrounding. And I want to make a point, and I'm about to read something that's a little bit lengthy to you, and you can follow along if you want to in just a second in Romans 10, if you want to in your Bibles. But, it's a bit long, but I believe it informs us regarding the faithfulness of God in Christ Jesus in Romans 9. And I'll read the whole thing to you. And, and when we talk about this, honestly, look at this, it doesn't talk about the faithfulness of God in healing. It talks about the faithfulness of God somewhere else in another instance. It says in Romans 9, it says, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and in, uh, and in unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them being long the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises, To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of of Abraham, because there is offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. As is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Y'all remember that account when we talked about that whole aspect? It's not about, it wasn't about the works of any man. It wasn't about Abraham, and it wasn't about just because you're a descendant of Abraham. It wasn't just because um, you're born into the family of Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. It's not about that aspect. When it comes down to it, it comes down to God's, sovereign election God's call and when we think about the faithfulness of God the faithfulness of Jesus Jesus is faithful regardless of the circumstances it's not based upon how good of a Christian you are or how good of a person you are or how much you do to serve or how much you do this or that what it ultimately comes down to is Jesus is faithful no matter what, and I always say this: Jesus is faithful even when we're faithless. God is faithful even in those moments that we seem faithless. He doesn't change. Circumstances doesn't change. Don't change one thing with the Lord. Circumstances don't surprise him. Illness doesn't surprise him. Loss of a job doesn't surprise him. He's faithful because the circumstances have no bearing on that. And when we look at this in regards to salvation, of course, when we talk about the choosing of God, is God unjust? Because it says, Esau I hated, but Jacob I loved. Is he unjust? No, there's no, because he has mercy on whom he has mercy. And so when we look at the life that we're, we're, what, what comes across our path and the things that we deal with, or even these examples of a person whose daughter has died, is God unjust because he allows someone's daughter to die? No. What if this ruler came to Jesus and said, asked the question and Jesus said, "I'm sorry but it's not to my father's glory that your daughter be healed. We don't even know if there's circumstances that were like that. I know that Jesus healed many of the diseases he healed illnesses, he cast out demons but we don't see that he it ever says that every sick person that was there was healed. We know instances of the of the man who was lame and he laid by the pool. And there were other people laying around. He said every time the pool is stirred, everybody is able, others are able to get in before me. So when Jesus healed that man, we ought to remember this. There were other people around. It only talks about Jesus healing the one. This man. In every circumstance Jesus is faithful. When we look at most of the times when we deal with those things and we f- deal with those hardships, the first things that we we want to do is is say, "What have I done wrong? Why do you find fault with me? Why does He still find fault if I can't resist His will? Or why can't I? Why does He find fault in me Are these things?" But who are we to talk back to God? It says regarding. Why have you made me Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? But it goes on, it goes on to talk about more than that. Jesus is faithful, and that faithfulness goes beyond us. It's not just that he's this faithful God that's out there. Look at Romans Romans 10, verses 1-13, through just one chapter over. It says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is not that they may is is my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved for i bear with them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own their own they did not submit to God's righteousness for the christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes for moses writes about the righteousness that's based upon the law that the person who does those commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith does not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down and who will descend into the abyss. That is bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? And this is an important aspect. He says... The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. And now, when we talk about this, it says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. When we think about this passage of Scripture, the primary use that we always use this passage of Scripture for is regarding salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no difference. It goes on between Jew and Gentile, slave or free, uh, Jew or Greek. For the same the Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on Him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes, it talks about salvation. But we also need to be reminded that Jesus doesn't just come near to us by the Holy Spirit just when we are saved. What did Jesus tell the disciples before he ascended into heaven? In the Great Commission, he tells them to go do all these things. Go make disciples of nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then what did he say? You're on your own until I see you again. Did he say that? No, he said, and I will be with you. To the very end of the age. Jesus is faithful regardless of the circumstances. And he's not just faithful, although he sits, as we say in the Apostles' Creed, he ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father. Just because he sits on the right hand of the Father doesn't mean he's distanced and far from us. He's not. He comes near to us. And He's faithful to not leave us or forsake us or leave us on our own. Jesus' faithfulness is not based upon man or man's request. It's not based upon what we ask. His faithfulness, Jesus is is faithful as the one and holy true God. And if He's sovereign and faithful regarding salvation, He will be so over any and every act and need. So Jesus is faithful. B, and here comes the B. B is this. Jesus must be the object of our faithfulness. Jesus must be the object... Of our faithfulness, and in times of hardship, and times of sickness, and times of all frustration, and everything else—it's very easy for us to focus on the circumstance or focus on these things. But what we need to do is focus on the object of our faithfulness. That's Jesus. There's another passage that might seem a little odd or off to talk about in regards to that, but Hebrews 12, verses 1-8, through says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You in your sin, don't in your sin, I'm sorry, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when we are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son. "...whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, and not sons." And we say this, Jesus must be the object of our faithfulness, because it is to Him, and it is by Him, that... That we understand, that we, we know how to proceed. We know what he is doing, and let's let's be reminded. Remember the remember in uh, Ephesians chapter six, it tells fathers, fathers raise your children, what parents. What does our children obey your parents in the Lord? For this is right, fathers. Don't don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Right. That word discipline from there, when we look at that aspect, when we think about that, discipline is not just physical, corporal punishment where you get your honey whooped, right? Is it always discipline, always punishment? No, discipline is, is the, when we use the word, it comes to this place to be disciplined, to be discipled, is to be taught. Some things we go through are to teach us. And, and and to teach us to be faithful to teach us to walk in him to teach us to trust in him cause us to go nowhere else but to him and so when it talks about that 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 the father disciplines us sometimes it's not necessarily a punishment and struggles in this life are not always about are not always punishment for sin Some of the things we struggle with are just to constantly dial us in to where we are are walking closer with Him. Relying more on Him. It doesn't always seem like that. I understand that. But we need to lay aside everything, every weight and sin, or anything that clings so closely, and run the race with endurance. And the only way we can do that is through that discipline process, the the race of this life. The only way we get through it, running with endurance and persevering to the end, is that we have to take the discipline along with the easy victories. I, like I said i I understand I don't know what my future holds I don't know what God's move in our family and my life is next but my question my my purpose is not to sit back and and just Question what God is doing. My thing is is to draw close and look at what He's doing and, and see where He's leading me through it. Even when we're tempted to sin, and even when we're tempted to walk away or be led astray, what did Jesus say? Even when you're tempted, you'll never be tempted beyond what? Beyond what we can bear with Him. He will give us a way out of it. He will show us the path. Jesus, because He is faithful, and He is faithful regardless of the circumstances, He needs to be the object of our faithfulness. I don't need to look to other Christians and how they got through circumstances, and they're not my object of my faithfulness. As moms and dads, as I said to someone, I don't want my children to grow up thinking they need to be under daddy's guidance for the rest of their lives. But they need y'all need to be raised and 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 trained. To to walk in the Lord, you need to be able to do that in and of yourself, self-governing under Him, under not my authority, and my any headship or my rule, but under His. See, you seek to honor Him above all things. Jesus must be the object of our faithfulness. Now when we get to these last few things, they're not really in depth, okay? They're not really hard to understand. <clears throat> but we're going to take them one at a time. Or this will be point number 2. The Jesus we need is merciful. The Jesus we need is merciful. Now, I use this just because I'm, I'm taking right off the theme passage. Jesus is going along his way, and there's two blind men who followed him, and they cried out, what? Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times in my life that I deserve the wrath of God. <laughs> or, there are times in our lives when we just get to a place, and sometimes... In, Um, things are just going to be hard. If you haven't faced it yet, you will some point in time. And there are times that we have to cry out to the Lord, have mercy. Now, is He merciful? Absolutely. But they cried out, have mercy on us. And yes, they had faith. We have faith, we need to have the faith that God will not only provide for our every need and our our every place of healing, but that He will relent. Or He will give us more strength. The Jesus we need is merciful. And I started thinking about this as I've talked about it a lot over the last... Uh, every. I keep throwing it in here or there over the last few weeks... And one of the things I want us to think about is, you remember the Beatitudes? He said, blessed are the merciful, so they will receive mercy. Our Lord is so merciful unto us. And, and I think when I, when I read the scriptures and talk about that Jesus endured the cross, He endured um, such great... He was despised. He endured the cross. He was despised. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He was cursed. He was mocked he went to a cross although he committed no crime he was killed and murdered on that cross and he died he received no mercy although he had committed no crime he had done nothing wrong but he received no mercy and here's the thing guys Yet he's merciful. And the Jesus we need each and every day is a merciful Savior. What men need is a merciful Savior. But they also need people who depict mercy. I can't forgive the sins of all mankind. I'm not, no, I wasn't born. I didn't die for them. I can't save them. I can't do anything. But I can be merciful because God has given me much mercy. My past is not unblemished. But I look back at it and I see what God has done and where He's brought me. And I must say, He is a merciful Lord. And that there are many in this community and many in our lives that they need to be called to repentance but they also need to receive mercy. Not one in this family, not one in our congregation, not one of the people, no one I've ever met is perfect. But we deserve, and we don't deserve mercy from anyone, but we must give what we've received. Let us be merciful. Thirdly, The Jesus we need, the Jesus we need is just. He's just. In the theme passage, he talks about this. It talks about this. As they were going their way, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man smoke, spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. And I made a quote about this the other day, because what was next said. The Pharisees said, He, meaning Jesus, cast out demons by the Prince of Demons. Who's the Prince of Demons? Huh? Satan, Satan right? Okay. Here's the comment they made about Jesus. There's a demon-oppressed man who can't speak. That's what mute means. It's not a button. Okay, he could not speak. He's oppressed, he possessed, whatever you want to call it. He's lived amongst them probably all of his life. He's, He's been this way. Right? He lives among them and guess what? What do they say? He's been set free. He's able to speak now. And you always, what do they say about Jesus? How? Oh, he cast out demons by the prince of demons. So here's the thing I started thinking about the other day. There's one or two responses that we can have to this. They, one, were jealous of Jesus. Okay? Thinking about it will be, you' uh, I can't see you. Mm. Right. They're either jealous. That's one aspect, right? They could be. They're jealous of what Jesus just did. Or, what they're saying is, in their belief, in their faith, that Satan has the power to do more good than they can. Either way, they're idiots. They're wrong. They're jealous of Jesus because he sees this man and he casts out this demon, and the man is set free immediately, and their response is, Jesus must be casting out demons by the prince of demons, by Satan. Well, you've known him all your life. Why haven't you done anything for him? Remember back when we talked about that? They all, they, it's about cleanliness and purity and about being able to go, be holy before God. But it wasn't about holiness before God at all. Jesus called them hypocrites. He said, called them whitewashed tombs. You're clean, all clean and pearly white on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. All things nasty and rotten. All of his life, he's been there amongst them, and they've done nothing. They haven't prayed for him. I mean, they haven't done anything. He's just been outcast. He's a demon-oppressed, demon-possessed, outcast of the people. And so Jesus comes along, and he heals him, and they call him say that he's he's casting out demons by Satan. So my opinion is either they're jealous of what they couldn't do and Jesus could or they believe that their faith has less power than Satan to do good. Either way, either way they're condemned. And I started thinking about that. How, how often it's so easy for us just to, to drive by or how easy it for us is to overlook because we see an outward picture of the inward sin of other people. Think about that. We respond to people because we see an outward look of someone and we depict it as an inward sinfulness. There are, there are people who are definitely lost and without Christ. There are people who are definitely who who have, who have drug addictions and alcohol addictions and all kinds of other problems, mental issues and things today. Many people that, that people would they would say, oh this person's schizophrenic or this person, they have a diagnosis for everything. The reality is they are in willful sin, possibly oppressed or possessed. I believe that wholeheartedly. But what do we do with those kind of people? We we go to the other side of the street. And we pass them by. Do we have to be wisest... Uh, what is it? it wisest serpents and innocent as doves? Yes. We have to be careful is what Scripture tells us. But then there are those... We don't know the impact we could make by one being merciful unto them, and secondly, being just. I was telling Grace I we because of all the rain that we've had. Anyways, I took I ended up going to town on our side by side and get hay and a little feed. And on the way back, there was this man. I've seen him, I can't tell you how many times, but he's always, he's walks, and he was it was just as I came around the corner, around the corner in town, the stop sign from the feed store, and I see him walking. And I said, I, I said, well, how are you doing? He's like, I'm doing good. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm just going over the railroad tracks. I've got breakfast for my mama. And it was the funniest thing, because... He had like little eggs and, and a Tupperware and sausage or whatever, and he had another little Tupperware that had coffee in it. But he was bringing his mama breakfast, and I i had never so I was like I just moved the feed right there over on the side. of us come on, jump in. And first off, I'm not I don't know many black men that would just jump in a vehicle with a white white guy. Um, but I'm gonna tell you something. It might not have been that far of a distance, but I want—and that's not for me to brag. I want you to understand this. It's not about that. It's about seeing a man and letting him know that you see the humanity in him, that you see that he is—he is not less than you because he's walking and you're driving something. It's about do you see that he is an image bearer of God. Whether he's a follower of Christ or not, he needs to know that I know that he is an image bearer of God. And the just thing, it has nothing, maybe for some people it would be about justice and righteousness, but the right thing to do is I'm going that way. Let's give him a let's give him a helping hand. Got him there maybe a few minutes earlier, but he has the opportunity to go bring his mother breakfast. The Jesus we need is just. We need, there are so many people in our community, in our lives, and there will be around us that need the justice from oppression. The Jesus we need is just. Fourthly, the Jesus we need is compassionate. And that kind of leads over from the story of the account I just shared from yesterday with that man. But Jesus was going throughout the vill- cities and villages. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's going to the he's going to the meeting houses of the churches and the elders. Basically, is what he's the meeting house, the local assemblies. He's going in and out. And when he looks out at the people, he looks at the crowds. Says he has compassion for them. Remember that word I told you. That's not like. Oh, he feels sorry for them. No, it's not that he feels sorry for them. That word for that word for compassion there is he is gut wrenched. He is sickened and hurting in his gut, his stomach, when he looks at the people. And the reason why is because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The reason why they were why he had compassion is when he looked at them they were like lost sheep that had been harassed by the wolves in the the wild. They had nobody to watch over them. They had no one to lead them. No one to instruct them. And of course the, the 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 point of that which is interesting is they had they had Pharisees and Sadducees. They had teachers of the law. But they were still harassed and helpless. We need to have compassion on people because even even as I I, I speak with Christians and often talk with people who say they're Christians, one of the things I'm finding out more and more is that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Many of them, if they do go to church on a weekly basis or a very regular basis, one of the things that we can look at is they don't have they don't have shepherds in their pulpits. They have wolves in sheep's clothing. Telling them what they want to hear. Telling them the things that they, they uh, uh, that topically they just want to talk. They, they talk about topics that have nothing to do with the, the life in Christ. They have nothing room to the changing lives and, or equipping them to face the life that they're about to go out into. But the reality is, is we need to, like Jesus, have compassion on these. Help us and harass people. And it's okay for someone else to turn around and say, "Listen, what you're being taught is wrong, or what you're saying is wrong. That's not what Scripture. That's not being that's not being mean to them. I mean, it's it's when we tell people, when we go to people, and we're, it's compassionate to tell them the truth of God's word when they've been eating. If they're sitting there eating, uh, we know this, and we look at it, and it looks like a it looks like a little candy, and it's green, um, or or it's red. It's, it comes in this little package, and it looks like taffy. It looks like Laffy Taffy, but we we can see, and we look at the box where it came from, and we realize it's rat poison, and they're eating it. It's compassionate. It's merciful. It's just... And it is compassionate for us to look at them and say, no, 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 this is going to kill you. This is going to send you to the pit of hell. It's compassionate to say, I love you enough to let you know that God's word says and lead them into truth. Lead them toward the path that leads to Jesus. These harassed and helpless sheep without shepherds. See, the thing is, is we can meet every other need that the helpless and harassed have. We can meet their physical needs. We can go and do a clothes drive, and we can collect all these clothes for them, and we can give out free, do free garage sales to their blue in the face. We can have uh, free farmer's markets like the local church in town does. It's not even a farmer's market. But anyways, they do all this free stuff, and we can give free food away to the poor all we want. But they're still harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we can give out Christmas toys to the poor. We can give out Thanksgiving boxes and feed them all. We can go out of our ways to go and muck out houses that are that flood. We can do all these physical aspects. We can do all these things. But if it is not accompanied by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of of the kingdom, and I can say this, they remain harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Because what they need, yes, they might need their physical need met immediately, but ultimately what they need is to know Jesus Christ. Because the rest of their life and the purpose and the way out of the struggle and the way out of the trial and the way out of these other aspects, the way that we're able to do that is through Jesus. Because their circumstance might not ever change. But Jesus, if we remember, is faithful regardless of the circumstance. And this fifthly is the last part of this little passage of Scripture Then he looks at his disciples after looking at all these harassed helpless people. This is kind of what just I just made my point. But the Jesus we need calls us to join his task. The Jesus we need calls us to join his task. His purpose. What does he say to them? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few pray therefore pray earnestly to the lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest he calls us to join his task i would even say this he doesn't just call us he commands us to his task let's go back to the great commission once again Although he's speaking to his apostles, he is speaking to us as well. He gives the model for us. Go and make disciples of the nations. Bring them into identification with him. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to observe everything he's commanded. And in doing so, we are joining in on the task. We, we know that Corinthians tells us that we are what? We are, we are called his ambassadors. And all those things that you've heard me speak on time and time again, as he's making his appeal through us to, for the world to be reconciled to God, calling them to repentance. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And here's the thing. I think this is the purpose of this. He's talking to those immediately around him. But it's not that there's not enough laborers in this world. There's enough laborers in the body of Christ. The fact is that they're not in the harvest field. They're not even at the the farm. Many times, they're sitting in their homes waiting for the next Sunday or the next opportunity for someone to tell them about something or to make them feel good. But the reality is, is Jesus says, listen, I look at the fields. We need laborers for the harvest fields. The fields are ready to be harvested. It's ripe. I remember being down in the valley in Texas. And I remember when harvest time comes, The, the, the believe it or not, they, they grow a lot of citrus down there in the valley. And here's the thing. You have, to, you have to pick the oranges, you have to pick the grapefruit particularly, they, it's a lot of grapefruit, okay? You have to pick the grapefruit just before the first freeze happens. They want to get it picked at the prime. When the harvest is ready, you can't say, well, let me get some guys together in a couple weeks from now, we're going to take care of this. Hopefully in the next two weeks, we can get all of them, them off the trees. No, that's not how it works. When the harvest is before you, it's time to get into the harvest field. When the harvest presents itself before you, you have to get in there. Jesus wasn't telling his his disciples, "Listen, the harvest is about to happen. You need to pray that God's going to send that. Pray that the Lord will send some other people out there." Our prayers, our prayers are to to join in with the fact that we've been called to the task. We ought not be calling for other people to do what we've been called to do by Him already. But we are if we're not faithful, why would we be calling God to make others faithful? And this is a matter of conviction for me. When we look at this aspect, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest before us, guys, the harvest is there. The question is how do we insert ourselves into it? Listen, God doesn't call us to do the whole task ourselves. That's why that passage is there. But we gotta get into the harvest field somehow. See, so yeah, over the last few weeks, and and still right now, there is nothing. There is absolutely nothing before me. There's nothing before my wife and our family that is more important than that. Everything that we see around our home, we could this is all this could all go we could we we don't need all of these things compared to being in the harvest field we have to be willing we must be willing to lay it all down to follow him to deny ourselves whatever we might want in some circumstances in order to follow Jesus. When the Jesus we need right now is that Jesus doesn't keep us on the outside, but he draws us in on the inside, and then he calls us to pray for others to join us in our efforts. But here's the thing if we are faithful to go and do whatever God calls us to do and no one else joins us, that's okay too. Because God has called us in this moment, in this time, to follow Him wherever He leads. Faithfully follow Him. To join Him in His task. And call others to do the same. There's an old hymn. um, The world behind me, the cross before me. When it goes in, no turning back is the hymn. And it talks about, though no go with me, I still will. We can just look at this. I still will follow. we have to look at that aspect where we are in our lives, where we are in a society if we truly believe that God is going to transform this world and he's going to use us, then we actually have to be in the field we actually have to be at work letting him use us being faithful to submit to his will that he uses us The Jesus we need is a Jesus that not only transforms us unto salvation, He transforms families, He transforms churches, He transforms communities. That's the Jesus we need right now. That Jesus is faithful, that Jesus is merciful, that Jesus is, is just, that Jesus is compassionate. That Jesus calls us to join. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that we can come together, we can open your word, and we can be challenged. Well, this the sermon has been sitting there for about two weeks. And over the last two weeks, Lord God, you've been you've been disciplining, I say disciplining me, but Lord God. You've been working in and around uh, myself, our family. Lord, I still don't know what that what what that means and what you're doing. But Lord God, I also know that the Lord God that in the process uh, that you've called us, that Lord God, you're drawing us closer to you. Lord my prayer tonight is that we can take a message that this is the Jesus we need is the Jesus this world needs the Jesus is a Jesus that's truthful the Jesus that that Lord leads us into all truth and Lord God calls men everywhere to repent and to be faithful to him the Lord before we hit those streets hit the fields calling others to repentance and Lord God calling others to follow or even praying for others to follow Lord my prayer is that we need to find ourselves being faithful as well may you be the object of our faithfulness may we seek your instruction that you seek your leadership and that we will follow you wherever you go to whomever you lead us to go uh, no matter what the cost. Lord God, I just pray that you will humble our hearts and soften our hearts. And God, reveal to us those things. For your kingdom and for your kingdom's sake, your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.